Welcome to the Scalar Learning Podcast, your central hub for all things related to education. Join us every episode for the most up-to-date tips and strategies on how to maximize student potential. Sit back, listen, and enjoy. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Scalar Learning Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Huzefa, where we talk about all things related to education, also spilling into self-development. Today, I'm actually at a conference where I'm learning about the protocol of Singapore math. And Singapore math is a, is a particular methodology that is used to, to teach math from first through sixth grade, really first, through, uh, sorry, kindergarten through sixth grade, fifth, sixth grade is kind of where it, where it stops. And it's great. It's super fun. I'm around all these educators and this amazing gentleman named Bill Davidson, who's an incredible teacher, two other teachers. And I think it's just perfect, a perfect fit that I'm in this big bubble, this big cauldron of education. It's such a perfect fit that I'm in this environment for my guest today, because my guest today... I've had a lot of great guests on the show, so not to compare and contrast, but let me just say I'm, be, I'm beyond excited to have my guest. So his name is Jeff Bradbury, and Jeff Bradbury, if you haven't heard of him, he's a pretty well-known teacher, and I'll just tell you a little bit about him. He is the coordinator of technology integration for Westwood Regional School for the Westwood Regional School District, and we're going to talk a lot about technology and integrating technology today. He is also the host on the TeacherCast Educational Broadcasting Network. He's got a podcast called TeacherCast. And again, all this stuff will be in the show notes if you want to check out his podcast. It's in the What's Hot category for K-12 through education podcasts, which actually, if you look at the charts, it's number 50, which is amazing because there's so many podcasts out there. So he's done really well there. Uh, he's had all sorts of public appearances, even give a t- given a TED Talk, which is so cool. And we're going to talk about that as well. But that's just my little rundown. I'm going to let Jeff tell his story. So without further ado, Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. That was quite an intro. <laughs> well, I, it's well-deserved. And I really, again, really appreciate you being on. This is going to be super fun. So if there's people out there listening that haven't heard of you and haven't seen your videos, can just give a little bit of a background, who you are, what you studied, how you got into education. Sure. Uh, I've been in public education now for 14, 15 years or so. Uh, for, for the first 14 years or so, um, I was a, a music educator teaching orchestra and violin and, and all those different things, K-12 to essentially. Um, and for the last year, I've been the coordinator of tech integration uh, slash tech coach um, at Westward Regional, where it's been a pretty awesome year, or it was a pretty awesome year, um, getting a chance to work with 2,700 students and 400 faculty. It's been pretty, pretty amazing, and I, I absolutely love where we're going with everything. How did you get into the, or how did the role begin of you having so many public, or basically being such a public person where you're, you're giving a lot of lectures and discussions on all these things related to education? How did that come about? Well, I've always been interested in doing public speaking. Um, at the 
end of the summertime, my extended family gets together in uh, Old Orchard Beach, Maine. And there's usually like a hundred of us or so. And on that Saturday, we always get together and do like a big potluck. And ever since I can remember, my father pushed me up on the stage, if you will, to do little skits and songs and, you know, entertain people. So uh, being the center of attention um, has never been something I've shied away from. And I've, I've always looked at moments like that at these family reunions where if it wasn't for that, maybe I wouldn't feel comfortable doing what I do here. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean the TED stage. That's just getting up in front of students or just being a teacher. So, you know, I've always been up for doing that, um, you know, going from the, the we tables of my family reunion into Boy Scouts and, and you know, being, being that person that has to be up and in front of people. Again, everything that I'm doing here just has become natural for me. Um, Again, you know, like I said, started off with music. And so naturally for that, you are up on stage. I, I have my master's degree in orchestral conducting, um, which means you have to be an, a master of multitasking and organization. And you have to know how to work with people and adapt to situations on the fly while you're in public. And all of that stuff kind of lends to the um, environment that we've built here on TeacherCast, where you know I have a broadcasting studio, and at any point in time, I'm running five different machines at the same time, multiple computers, multiple keyboards, all to make a single series of shows. It's you know people call it podcasting, and then I, I wish I was the one that that came up with this idea, but a friend of mine coined the phrase, TeacherCast is a symphony of educators because I really like that. Um, you know, we're essentially, we bring people onto the show and you host a live show while you're running cameras and producing and graphics and the live chat and you're fixing websites all while you're still on camera having a conversation. So all of that stuff kind of led me to the last year of making the switch out of the orchestra pit and into the ed tech world. Um, and it's been an amazing ride and an awesome adventure. You know, it's really cool because I actually did an episode where I talked about, now this is just the relationship of music to public speaking in particular, getting up in front of people and having to, to deliver anything. And I think it's so, I think that's one of the reasons why it's so cool to get kids involved in music at a young age, because if you have to go to a piano recital or a performance, even if they don't want to become professional musicians like you did, it's such great practice. It's such another, it's, it's one more chance to get up and, and try and build up a little bit more confidence, a little bit more comfort dealing with audiences. So I think that's so cool. I see a lot of musicians actually develop this real love for being on stage, and, and I, think it's, I think it's a great thing for all kids. Now, can you tell us a little bit about, your, about the podcast? Like, what is it, what is it all about? What, do you, what types of things do you cover? Sure. The, the podcast is now five years old. I'm very, very proud of that. July, 1, July 11th was my five-year anniversary, and... You know, it originally started off as a roundtable show where I just wanted to get some people together to help me understand how to best help the teachers in my school district. And we did that. And that was called the Teacher Cast Podcast. And then from there, you kind of realize, well, wait a minute, I'm talking about, you know, podcasting, but I'm talking about WordPress, but I'm talking about, you know, Chromebooks. And then you start to say, well, is this a continuation of the theme or is this another show topic that I want to explore maybe with a different logo on it? So, you know, right now over on iTunes, um, I think I've got probably eight or nine different iTunes feeds running around. Um, and of course, that then brings in the Stitcher radio and the, and the YouTube and the, the un I mean, I have a podcasting app. I've got a few podcasting apps that are on the app store um, all over the place. So it, it's it. 
most podcasters either say this isn't for me or it just becomes a very public addiction. And for me, it's become a very public and professional addiction. Well, that's awesome. You've experienced a lot of great success. And I, I actually really enjoy podcasting. I love doing this. And yeah, so that is something I'm shooting for to try and, and somewhat follow in your footsteps. I don't know if I could hit that exact mark. Of course, well, the high mark. Look at it this way. Do you know how many, what is the average number of podcasts that somebody puts out? I actually don't know. Eight. Oh, really? So, you know, and I don't know the exact number, if it's eight or nine, but, you know, usually if you look in podcasting circles, they say if you can get past episode eight-ish, you're doing a good job. If you can get past episode 25, you're probably going to be a lifer. And so, you know, because most people do it once or twice and then they realize, oh, this is a job now that is, you know, yes, it's a hobby. We don't get paid for this, but it's a job now. And so, you know, pod fading is a, is a word that somebody much greater than I coined a long time ago. And, and yeah, most people don't make it to, to episode eight. No. Then I feel good because I think today I believe you are my fifty-fifth episode. Now I've been I've been of course sticking to a very very strict and aggressive schedule because I want I wanted to do a lot of episodes this summer and interview a lot of people. But okay, cool. Well, I feel good about that then. <laughs> uh, so Jeff, tell us a little bit now. I want to talk about technology because this is such a fascinating area to me. Like I love technology. I've always loved it. And it, of course, wasn't around to the same degree as far as being enmeshed in the curriculum as it is today. When I was a kid, I'm 36, but now it's all over the place. And I just interviewed somebody for, uh, who wrote a book called Wired Child, and we talked about we talked about he, he's more on the cautionary side. Like you got to be careful with how it integrates all that stuff. But what I want to hear, I want to hear your side, and I wa- just tell us a little bit about how you try and go about integrating technology and what it, what it really looks like in, in across different disciplines, whether we're talking about history, math, so on. Great topic. Great question. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to give a six-hour workshop to a bunch of uh, family success centers or you know, our local community areas. And we were talking all about social media. And of course, the topic came up of, isn't social media bad? And my, my success center doesn't want us on social media just in case somebody decides to say bad things about us. How do we then combat that? And my boss is suggesting I never sleep because I should always be trolling Twitter for just in case those negative things happen. And my suggestion was for them to sign a petition, get a million people to do it, that they need to close down every single Acme, ShopRite, Walmart, Target, Costco, BJ's, you name it. They looked at me like I'm strange. And I said, well, where do you think the original social media came from? People going into the grocery store, meeting each other and talking about you. (laughs) And, you know, the the point I'm trying to make here is you have to embrace the the, not not the future. I I really hate people when they say let's embrace the future because it's not the future. It's here now. So you have to embrace what's going on in front of you. Even if you're not open to seeing what's in front of you, you need to embrace it. And it's no different social media and just saying, look, you know, you can't go to Walmart and stop people from talking about you. All you can do in, so, in the social world is, is make sure you're telling a positive story. And if you tell enough positive stories, other people really don't have much to complain about. Or when that one thing does happen, 
you've got 99 other positive things to kind of combat that. So you combat it with, you know, with honey, with good stuff. Same thing with ed tech. A lot of people are looking at the ed tech world and going, well, there's so much stuff out there that we can get in trouble for. And should kids be using phones and what kind of phones and how to use a phone? And is text messaging bad? And what happens if you text? Me Look, the only way that you can handle any of these situations is to be a good teacher. And everybody has a definition of that because everybody's a good teacher right? But it really does take a know-how of what the expectations could be before you describe what the expectations are going to be. Do you feel that there is a right... Let's talk about a phone, for example, or an iPhone or smartphone. Do you feel there is a correct age at which to introduce a child to an iPhone, or do you feel it's not about the age, it's more dependent on the instruction? I'm going to answer your question exactly the way that you put it. I have 32-month-old triplets, and they play with my iPhone. Now, they also know how to log into my account. They know how to scroll the different screens. They know how to find the Disney app, and they know how to turn on Mickey Mouse Club. They are digital natives in all the right respects. I'm trying to teach them how not to use my iPhone because I don't want them to run the battery down watching Goofy sing. So if you're looking at what age to be teaching things, I think every parent has to make that decision, but I also think we have to take it from both points of view rather than just saying this is good or this is bad. It's This can be helpful and educational. Now, there was an interesting issue that, or a question, I guess you could say, that, that was discussed with respect to reading. And let's say we have the option. Do you find any advantage or disadvantage of reading textbooks or books for fun on, in physical form versus on an iPad or a screen? You know, as, as the parent of 32-month-old triplets, I read them books constantly, you know, paper books. And if you look at some of the books that they like, it's the same books where you open up a page and it says, look at what Mr. So-and-so has underneath of his hat. And then you flip up the little panel and you see what's under the hat nobody's complaining about these books. Yet when we put that on an iPad and we say, click on the hat, and then the hat jumps up, makes a noise and flips and a rabbit comes out of it, somehow that's bad and I'm a bad parent because of it. So I'm not quite sure what the, what the conversation could or should be, but I'm understanding fully what the conversation is and it mostly comes down to we're just not sure and we're kind of scared and, you know, we're not all yet connected. I think that makes a lot of sense. And this is great. Uh, if, if people out there listening, if you haven't heard my other interview, because I'm still learning, I don't really know. You know, Of course, I love technology from a personal standpoint. I use it in all different ways. But this is great to have Jeff on here. And then if you, you want to listen back, I'll put in the show notes a link to the other episode where uh, we had the doctor talk about... Uh, his book and all that, and I, I I think it's just great to hear all of the you know all the different pieces of information and 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 make your own decision on all these little sub issues. What I want to ask you, since you're the expert, is I want to talk about uh, applications that can be used to aid education, but maybe more towards mathematics because math is what I teach primarily, what I tutor primarily, what I love, uh, and. And, I'm, and I'm, we use Alex at the school that I'll be teaching at next year, and I think Alex is great. I excel a little bit. What else do you have, you know, do you have any recommendations, or what would you say are your favorite for math and why? 
You know, my favorite thing to teach math is a good teacher. And I know we're here trying to talk about ed tech and, and it would be wrong for me to say a specific app because it takes a good teacher to use a specific app. I mean, for instance, I can show you how to do formulas on Excel and I can teach you how to do formulas on sheets. If you're a teacher that has no idea what a spreadsheet can do, then my recommendations are null and void. I teach coding um, to K-12 students. And my favorite exercises that I do is when I teach coding to kindergartners. I don't use a computer. I don't use a mouse. I don't use a screen. We have a rug in the kindergartening room. And I happened to notice one day that every kindergarten class has this same rug that has a bunch of square tiles with different colors on it. So I looked at that and said, well, why can't we turn that into a coding game or a programming game? So I take the kindergartners and we put them around the perimeter of the rug. And it's important to say that because they don't know the word perimeter yet. So you're teaching them English language learning skills. And then we talk about using a grid system and we're going up and down the squares or left and right on the squares. And we have to turn to our left and turn to our right. And then we take different obstacles and we put them on the squares and that becomes the rock, if you will. And so now you have to navigate from point A to point B on the rug but you can't hit the, the rock or the obstacle. And so we do that with the kid being the game piece, if you will. And we do that with the teacher being the game piece. And then we say, look, if you happen to hit this square, then the rocks are going to move. So we're teaching coding and programming skills without technology. I'm not saying I'm the best thing in the world, but it really does take a, a teacher to see that and not say, well, the only way I can teach math is with an app. And so I have to have an iPad. That makes a lot of sense. Just wanted to ask as well, on, and not, not just uh, for applications, actually also for whether you're teaching it in the format sort of similar to the way you describe really hands-on or with the aid of an app or flashcards, what is your preferred method for math fluency, in particular multiplication? Because that's something that I'm always trying to improve the kids that I work with on a private basis, I'm always trying to improve their multiplication skills. What's, what are your recommendations? You know, in the, in the music room, we use a lot of crutches, okay? And math is the same thing, where if you want to learn your, to time, you know, your times tables, you can say, like, you know, one plus one is one, one times two is two. two you, know, you can do all those different kind of games and tricks. Um, in music, we have something similar, where we have, you know, lines and spaces, and we say, all good boys do fine or every good boy does whatever those are. Right. Um, I'm, and maybe this is the way that I think I'm just kind of one of those rip the bandaid off and just memorize something. I don't like doing games or songs or wrote things to try to teach stuff. I'm just one of those. Y y some stuff has to be committed to memory. Okay. And I'm not saying you have to learn your 14 times tables, but one to 10, you gotta know how to do that stuff. If you can do a song, great. But then you realize that songs and pneumatic devices like that are only slowing kids down. I mean, when I teach violin, I don't teach every good boy does fine because, well, that means that every single time a kid comes to a note, they have to think E-G-B-D-F. Okay, E-G-B-D-F-A. Okay, e and so why give them that crutch that every single time they come to a note, they have to go through this process that slows them down and ultimately that doesn't help you out. So anything for a math teacher, just, just you have to have this committed to memory. That's m my opinion. Um, not a math teacher, 
but I think that there are a lot of merits to the just sit and learn it. That makes a lot of sense, actually. I mean, th- to be honest, that's how I learned it when I was a kid. As far as it was, it was just pure memorization of times tables, and and I suppose it served me well. But I guess uh, that yeah, and, I mean that that is true. Uh, when you're trying to refer back to these mnemonic devices, you have to recite them. And so, especially if you're taking something like the icy or one of these other timed tests, that is going to slow you down. So that actually that that makes a lot of sense. Do you? Do you use with any of your students the the company resources from Flocabulary, which does all these musical videos for vocab and and some math and all sorts of stuff? I think there's a lot of merit for that. I think going through and having a, a song or something. I mean, look, I'm a music teacher, right? I, I think having songs for this certainly work. You know, like uh, going back to my own kids right now, we have a routine where they, they don't like to have their teeth brushed. So we sing them a little song. And when the song is over, they know that the toothbrush is done. So there, there, there's there's a merit for doing all of that stuff. But, y- you know, it's more of a reward than a lesson. Right. That makes sense. I'd like to now shift the conversation to the topic of video games. I don't mean vi- uh, educational video games just video games in general, because I just want to hear your thoughts, recommendations, uh, as far as, because I, I can't tell you how many parents have come to me at, with, with a lot of concern and said, look, my kids seem to be spending uh, an ever-increasing amount of time playing video games, and their schoolwork, or at least, at least in their minds, they could be spending that time doing schoolwork. My typical response is, well, I played games when I was a kid. I, I loved video games. And I, it was something that was really cool at the time. It, maybe sometimes it would push me away from my academics, usually not too much. And also, I eventually grew out of it. I don't really play video games anymore. That's kind of from my personal experience. But again, I know it's anecdotal. What, is your, what are your general thoughts? Or do you give advice to parents on this front? And if so, what is it? Yeah, um, this is a sticky topic because you have to understand what kind of parents you're dealing with. Let's go back to, we're, we're about the same age. So let's go back to when we were growing up and we were playing our Sega Genesis. And, and our parents were to say things like, I don't like my kids playing video games, right? We've all seen that. Go outside, go play basketball, go shoot hoops, go whatever, right? Get off of the Nintendo. That was a generation of parents that did not grow up with video games. They might have, you know, dad might have been playing with the computer or maybe the, you know, the old Atari 2600 or something like that. But generally, moms were not on the computer and dads were out doing boy things when they were growing up. Now you transpose that 15, 20 years later and you have our generation. We're the parents. We grew up with video games going, ah, it's okay. Let the kids play. And you still have that also that also generation of parents that are like, I don't want my kids glued to a television. And you also want to make sure that you have kids that are, you know, socially awkward or socially active and not socially awkward. We also know now that you, you can be socially active sitting on Xbox Live and having a social group. We also know that that's also a very dangerous thing. So we also have the parents in this generation who are, let's just say, the Minecraft heads that understand the gaming points of view. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you can't change a parent's mind. I mean, I'm never going to go to a, a mom or dad and say, no, 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 Minecraft's okay. Look at how this works. But I can talk to you about the educational value of of games such as that. 
And I can tell you the educational value of things like uh, just the top of my head here, Tomb Raider. You're solving a puzzle in three dimensions. There's a game, I believe, I don't know how old it is, but it's called Portals, I think it is, where you have to shoot uh, at a certain wall and then you shoot at another wall, knowing that when you walk through one portal, you're going to come out the other. And that, that game is all about angles and, and physics and, and all those different things that are their scientific principles. Yes, you're sitting in front of a video game, but you're also computing an awful lot of stuff. I mean, I am one of those people that can look at a free sale game and I can finish the free sale game before I even make my first move. And so that skill comes from sitting and playing like John Madden football. You know, you're, you're, you're trying to figure out what play do you want to make versus the defensive play. This is all strategy stuff. Kids do need strategy. Um, because I don't know how many people right now live in an area where there are 15 teenagers or 15 grammar school kids that are on the streets playing games like pickup hockey and pickup football and stuff like that. So, and not everybody's going to be playing organized sports. They might just only have the opportunity to play sports in their living rooms. Sports is a strategy game, no matter what sport it is. Even bowling is a strategy game, right? So I think there's a warrant for playing it. And no, I don't have any strategies of telling parents that they should or shouldn't have rules in their house. Okay, excellent answer. Thank you. I just want to jump to one more topic. I know I'm kind of jumping around, but now in my head I'm thinking, well, I've got this great resource for all my questions that I could possibly ask for for uh, teacher recommendations for my students. So let me ask one more, and this is with relation to reading. Do you have any general tips, or if you if you want to answer it this way, uh, since you're a technology expert, do you have any technology recommendations for ways to get kids more excited and engaged with reading, especially in the summer? So I'm talking more, more about voluntary reading. Yeah, have them read other people's writings. Um, I think there's a big merit for blogging, and I don't think we do enough of it. And blogging does not mean essay. I'm, I'm tired of teachers that say, yeah, we do blogging in our class. And I look at their kids, and it's these 1,200-word essays that are grammatically perfect and, and, and. No. I also don't think that blogging should be three sentences that looks like a text message. But I think somewhere in the middle of it, about this is interesting. If you're going to be teaching blogging, you're doing the wrong thing. But if you're teaching self-promotion through blogging, then you have it. If you're going to be teaching blogging and you're going to be teaching writing and reading, you need to understand who your audience is. And it's not the kids. It's Google. Understanding that a post made up of only text is not ranked high on search engines. But to get the kids to understand that you have to write something of quality, and only you can determine what quality means. And then you add pictures to it. And then you add multimedia video to it. And maybe you add a slide presentation to it. And maybe then you're going to have it be promoted to the world on social media. And then you get kids to read that blog and have good comments on it. Many people don't understand that that's the concept that, that, that you really should be working on here. They just say, oh, yeah, we blog. And I look at their, their kids writing and it's, it's black and white text. You're doing a major disservice to your kids because you're not understanding the concept that you're trying to give them, which is create a student voice. Your students do not have a voice if nobody's reading it. They have an outlet for creativity, but they don't have a voice if nobody's reading it. So make it look creative. That is such amazing advice because I actually I haven't I've read a, a few different articles on student blogging. Nobody talked about 
that aspect of the blogging. It was more just about writing and using it as self-evaluation, et cetera. But that well, is so great. What you you're not see. calling it student dissertation. Right. No, I think, I think that's amazing. I, it's something that I want to do this year to, to the degree that I'm allowed to with uh, my students, but uh, my sixth graders, I'd, I'd love to do it and get them involved in it. But that's such great advice. I'm absolutely going to remember that if and when the, the time comes to get them involved. Jeff, I know you got a super busy schedule. I know you got another interview lined up today. So I just want to say thank you so much for, for joining me and joining everybody. This was so, so information packed. I really appreciated it. If people want to reach out to you and get in touch with you or check out your website, how can they do that? Sure. And first of all, thank you so much. Uh, your show, I, I was watching a few of the episodes or listening to a few of the episodes. It's fantastic. And, and good luck with the first you know, 55 and 55 more episodes here. I, I always say take your first 50, throw them out, and know that the next 50 are going to be better. And then you take your first 100 and throw those out, and you know that the next 100 are going to be better. So congratulations on all the great success here. And I love the dedication for doing a podcast in the middle of a conference. I think it's fantastic. Um, there's several great ways that you can reach out to here at, at TeacherCast. You can find me over at TeacherCast.net. Um, you can, of course, email me at feedback at TeacherCast.net or all of our stuff is going to be found over at TeacherCast.net slash audio, which is our iTunes feed or video, which is our YouTube feed. And of course, of course, if you want to reach out to me and, and uh, you know, ask any questions, you can over at TeacherCast.net slash voicemail. Uh, one of the podcasts that I have is called Ask the Tech Coach. And literally all it is is people like yourself who have a question, they ask, and then I put them on a show and we try to help out the world. Um, I just released a brand new website called jeffreebradbury.com. That's J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-B-R-A-D-B-U-R-Y.com is my personal homepage and companion website to everything we're doing here at TeacherCast. So that's where I have all my show notes and my uh, my, my workshops, and uh, that's where I'm doing all the non-ed techie blogging today. Awesome. And guys, so there was a lot of links, a lot of information there. I'm going to put all of that stuff in the show notes, so don't worry. You can rewind if you want and listen to it again, or you can check out the show notes if you want to see those. Go to www.scalarlearning.com. And as always, if you have questions or comments for me, email me at huzefa at scalarlearning.com. Would absolutely love to hear from you, and if you haven't done so yet, Go ahead, subscribe to the podcast. We've got episodes coming out every day for the rest of the summer, and I'm really excited. It's been a blast so far. I've got a lot of great guests coming up. Thank you for joining. I'll see you guys next time. Take it easy.